are ready for the most theologically challenging, spiritually important question you're going to get asked today. Well, good news is, whether you're ready or not, I'm going to ask you, when was the last time you went fishing? Anybody in the last month? Anybody go fishing in the last month? Whoa. So definitely not three weeks ago. Whoa. Definitely not, you know, nobody went yesterday. See, there was, there was some, there are some expert fishermen, fisher people in our church, and I knew I could count on them, and they were at first service. So that's, that's how that played out. Okay, how about the last, like, three months? Anyone go fishing in the last three months? No, Oregon's cold. Okay, John did. Thank you, John. All right. No, fishing. Well, it's interesting that I'm the one who's going to talk about the fishing-related miracles of Jesus, because I think that of our teaching team, I am the worst fisherman. I think if we had a Dallas church, you know, pastoral preaching fishing competition, which now sounds like something we should do, but uh, I would lose because my experience fishing is very little. I have caught very little. When I was a kid, I was on vacation with my grandparents and my grandpa had rented a houseboat and so I went off the back of the houseboat with my little kitty fishing line from Walmart and I cast it maybe like, you know, three feet deep in the lake and for some reason all week long I caught nothing all week long. So then um, years later when I was a freshman in college, I had just spent my year away living out of the house, being an adult and all that stuff, and I came back to my mom's house. And my eighth grade little brother wanted to go fishing, and I was the one person dumb enough to get up at 5 a.m. with him every weekend, and we would drive through Dutch Bros, we'd caught, pile in the truck, drive through Dutch Bros, go to the river, and he would cast his line up and down the river, and I brought a camping chair and a stack of theology books, and I had a wonderful, relaxing time. It was great. It was great. But once again, all summer long, you know how many fish we caught? Goose egg. Nothing. Nothing. Well, then, in the middle of COVID and isolation and all that, one of the youth kids uh, asked me to go fishing with them. And I was very afraid because, you see, when you're the youth leader, you have to be better at the sports than all of the youth kids, which is apparently like an unsaid rule, and I am not better than all the kids in our youth group at the sports. I get hit by dodgeballs, I lose those games, but, 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 when we went fishing that day, I caught something this big. Yeah, yeah. Fishing, it's interesting. Well, why do so many of Jesus's miracles have to do with fish? You ever ask yourself that question? It sounds like a very Jesus-y, kind of Bible-y, spiritual thing to talk about miracles involving fish. Uh, and I think the answer to that question is because fish was in the everyday life of the people that Jesus was around. In uh, the opening to the book of John, it talks about how that in the incarnation, when Jesus came on this earth, it was God pitching his tent and dwelling among humans. It was God in the everyday. And in the region of Galilee, where Jesus was doing ministry, that's what they did. That was the major economic food source, source of protein in everybody's diet, was to go get some fish, because they lived around 
this lake. And so I wonder if instead of when we talk about Jesus interacting with fishing or fish, instead of thinking, well, that's way back in the past and has nothing to do with my life, what would it be like if Jesus interacted with things like gas prices and income tax and, you know, all these things that, you know, commutes and highways and these things that we interact with every single day. We live in Dallas, in the Willamette Valley. Some of us drive to Salem for work. Some of us drive all the way to Portland for work, and I pray for you every day. But, like, we live life, and God is in that. And God meets us on our commutes, at our dinner tables, on our couches, over cups of very good coffee, which I also pray that we all have cups of very good coffee. But Jesus meets us where we're at. And so in this series of the miracles of Jesus, I've let it out of the bag, I'm talking about the fishy miracles of Jesus. So when you walk away from church today and they say, hey, how was the sermon? You can say, it was kind of fishy. Yeah. Ooh, the dad jokes just keep coming. Here we go. So we've talked in this series thus far about how Jesus' first miracle was the winemaker, where he was at a wedding feast, and in that day, in that age, like when you had a wedding feast, you had to have a lot of wine for the guests, and this couple, they ran out of the wine, and so then Jesus turns the water into wine, and it's better. It's the new wine, and it's better than the old wine, and there's almost this symbology to that miracle of the fact that Jesus is bringing something new. Jesus is bringing something better. So he starts with that miracle, then he does the healing miracles. That's what we talked about last week. And we worship a God that makes what's wrong with this world, he makes it right. He is the God of our bodies, and he designed us on purpose, and he knows what goes on. And so in the miracles of healing, What's interesting is that when Jesus heals someone, the opposite of nature is what's happening. Because what happens when you're around someone who's sick? You get sick. That's, you know, one plus one equals two. Like, that's, that's how this goes. But what happens with Jesus is he reverses that. And all of a sudden, his wholeness, his holiness, his cleanliness, you know, his state of being transfers to the sick person instead of their sickness transferring to him. That's kind of deep. That's, that's deeper than just walking around putting Band-Aids on people. Jesus was a healer. Well, here we go. Let's talk about what Jesus did with fish. It's interesting because the fish was the runner-up in church history for the symbol of Christianity. We came this close, guys, to having a giant fish on that wall behind me. Because... <laughs> Christianity, we, we have kind of settled on the cross. That's the logo of our church. That's what we put on the back of our sanctuaries and all that. But for a long time, the, the fish was the symbol. And in the early church, there's the tradition or the myth that um, the early church would walk around. And instead of saying, hey, are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? Well, I'm a Christian. Instead of walking around with Jesus t-shirts, to do this kind of under the radar I would draw half of the fish in the sand and I would wait and see if you drew the other half. Would you complete it? Because then we would all both know, kind of under the radar, we're Jesus followers. 
And to this day, if you look in the phone book sometimes, there's businesses that just have this little, little fish on the side of their logo. And it's this symbol and this tradition, the Greek word for fish, which I know that's what you wanted to know when you woke up this morning. What's the Greek word for fish? I'm so happy to tell you. It's ichthyos, and it would stand for this acrostic for Jesus Christ, Son of God, the Savior. And man, that is something to hold on to, day in and day out, in the storms of life. Can we recenter on the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, our Savior? Well, so Jesus is walking around early in his ministry um, around the Sea of Galilee, which is actually a lake, not a sea, Sometimes gets called Tiberius or Gennesaret. And if you're following along in your Bible, you can look at Luke chapter 5 for this one. And so he's walking around teaching, and he steps in to Simon Peter's boat. I have been on many docks, in many boats, and I am grateful that no rabbis have climbed into my boat while I was trying to do something else. Because I don't know how I would react to that situation. Peter just kind of lets it happen. And so uh, they pull off of the shore for a little bit, and there's this like natural amphitheater that happens as Jesus stands in the boat and his voice is amplified on the shores of Capernaum. And so he does his teaching, he does his sermon, and verse 4, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon Peter, put out into the deep water and let the nets down for a catch, which is not what Peter wanted to do because he was just coming off the night shift. He's been working all night long. Verse 5, Simon Peter says, Master, we have worked hard all night, and we haven't caught anything. Hey, they caught as many fish as I do. There we go. But because you say so, we will let down the nets. So they say, Jesus, I don't know that we believe in how this is going to go, but we're going to do what you say. So they let down the nets, and they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. That's a miracle right? The nets are filled with fish, and it's the daytime when you don't catch as many fish. Like, the fish like to swim deep down. When I was walking around Galilee in the daytime, I did not see hardly any fish, but also we've established I'm not the best fisherman. So Peter, he's throwing the nets down, they're pulling it back, and so they signal to their partners in the other boat to help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. So full. And it's interesting because Peter's response to this is not what you might expect. As a fisherman, he doesn't go, you know, cha-ching, money, like all these fish. That was the whole point. He went out to go get fish. He gets a lot of fish, and he says, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. He falls down at Jesus' feet, and it's almost like he's embarrassed by the miracle. He's ashamed. It's almost like God comes through, and for some reason that reveals some of what's been going on in his heart. And I don't know if it's that as he's throwing the nets, right, he's kind of, what's this rabbi guy know about what fish is? You know, he's throwing it in. I don't know. It could be that uh, it's actually very likely that Peter had started to follow Jesus because he was um, with the disciples of John, and then John said, hey, my disciples, go follow Jesus. So maybe Peter followed Jesus for a while and left and went back to fishing and said, I'm done with this. I don't know what was going on in his heart, 
But Jesus looks at him as he is embarrassed and confronted with his own inadequacy. And Jesus says, do not be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. If you learned it the way I did in Sunday school, I will make you fishers of men. Jesus says, I will give you a mission and a commission to do in this life. And I wonder if there's some analogy here. So the disciples' boats and their nets were not ready for what Jesus was going to do with them. And I wonder in the same way if the disciples' lives were not prepared for what God was going to do in their life. Like they are not prepared for their nets or their boats to have this much happening to them. And I wonder if sometimes we feel overwhelmed by what's going on. And we say, okay, Jesus, I was not ready for 2020. Turns out I was not ready for 2021 or 2022, and I don't think I'm going to be ready for 2023. I don't know how this is going. But Jesus is doing something in their life, even if they might not be ready for it. And he provides for them from the very get-go of all of this. Well, let's talk about another story where Jesus has some fish. Maybe you've heard about this, the feeding of the 5,000. So, Jesus is teaching all day long, and I don't want to hear any complaining about my sermon length, because Jesus' sermon went until evening. Mine will get done before lunch. You're welcome. So the disciples, they look out at the crowd. They've been hanging out with Jesus all day, and they say, Jesus, send the crowds away, because we need to get some food. They need to get some food, and we don't have enough food to feed everyone. So we just were done teaching for the day. And Jesus turns it back on them. He says, you feed them. And I wonder, I wonder how that felt with fishermen. Like their job was to feed other people. And Jesus says, well, you feed them. And they say, well, we don't have any food. And then one of the disciples, who has the best name of all the disciples, his name was Andrew, he brought a little boy to Jesus. And he brought five loaves and two fish. And this is not like French you know, rolls from the French loaves from Safeway, all that good stuff. These are probably like lunchable-sized little tiny things. And this little boy is bringing his lunch to share with everyone. And for some reason, Jesus says that's going to be enough. So they take the lunch and they hold it up and offer it. They ask God to bless it. And then they put everybody in, you know, they sit down in groups of 50, 100, and 5,000 men and then they start passing out the food. And I don't know how this went. I would love to see video footage of how this went. Because, like, do they rip a piece off? And then, like, while they're not looking, like, it grows back on the loaf? Or, like, are they, like, you rip a piece off and then it just keeps going? Or they hand the loaf to a group of people and then it comes back and it's, there's still bread on it. But for some reason, with God's math, five loaves, two fish equal 12 baskets of leftovers. Sign me up for that. That's cool. Yeah, 12 baskets of leftovers. And I, I think that there's an analogy here that Jesus comes through. God provides for his people. And he's been teaching them, which is like some spiritual good, but also God cares about the physical good of people. Do we have enough food? Do we have enough shelter? Do we have enough of these things and so often, sometimes, I've seen, you know, in church we get worried about, well, did we preach the gospel to them? Well, okay, but did we also feed them? Do we also look after them? The book of James 
says, don't just say, I will pray for you, I want good things for you. Come through for people. Let's be a church where we meet physical needs and spiritual needs. Because I don't think you have to pick. Jesus didn't. And so he makes this miracle. They feed all of these people. And then in the next chapter, Matthew chapter 15, we see a very similar miracle. Except this time, we're feeding 4,000 instead of 5,000. Now, if you asked me to write the story and arrange that, I would have started with, five, with the four and built up to the five. Or maybe, like, can we go from, like, 5,000 to, like, 20,000? Can we make this impressive? But why four? And you and I are Western American readers. We come to the scripture and we look at numbers and we want to say, tell me how many, at what time, in what way. Like, we want these numbers to answer very important questions. Like, was there one disciple who just gave up counting after four? Like, one guy went all the way to five, and then, you know, maybe Thomas was the lazy disciple who decided that he was not going to count. No, there's a reason. So these numbers, they mean something. So with the feeding of the 5,000, we have some very Jewish numbers here. Um, when they would hear the number five, they would think of the five books of the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And last summer, we actually taught through, we took eight weeks to teach through the five books of the Torah because the imagery, what happens in those very first five books of the Bible, that helps us understand the whole rest of the story. And so you've got the five books of the Torah, and then potentially you've got two fish, right? You've got five loaves, you've got two fish. So maybe that's two stone tablets of the Ten Commandments. You add that up. This is your math equation for the day. I know you can do it. Five plus two equals seven. Good job. Seven is the number of creation. It's the number of completeness and perfection and God putting the world back. And then what's left over are 12 baskets. You've got 12 tribes of Israel. This miracle is about the fact that God comes through for his people. Well, here's what happens with the feeding of the 4,000. A, Jesus leaves Galilee, and he goes to a region called the Decapolis, which were these 10 Roman cities, where the Roman Empire built these cities strategically to bring in their culture into the region. And Jesus goes into the Decapolis, and here's what um, it says in Matthew 15, 31. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. Why would he say that? Why is it impressive that the people in the Decapolis are praising the God of Israel? Like, if you got Jewish people worshiping the Jewish God, that's not a whole lot to write home about. But Jesus leaves that community and he goes out into the whole rest of the world in that Roman area. And four, to the Jewish mindset, is the number of the compass. There are four points on the compass. It's the whole world. Elsewhere in the Bible, there are four horsemen on two separate occasions sent out across the entire world. Jesus is saying not only am I going to come through for my people, not only is my heart just for the people that hang out in churches or at Bible studies, God's heart is for everybody. As a church, we exist 
Yes, to disciple and encourage each other. But we also exist for the people that aren't in this room right now. For the people throughout Polk County who have needs, very real, physical, spiritual needs. And we exist to meet those, to be Jesus. That's why we do things like the warming center. That's why we show up at the city parade. And we're going to keep doing stuff like that because that's what it means to follow Jesus. Here we go. Let's keep going. So he's got those numbers that the church exists to reach the people who are far from him. Now we got one more. This is the final fishing story. In the book of John, way at the end, chapter 21. This is after the holy week, after the final week of Jesus' ministry. And you think about what that would have been like for the disciples. What roller coaster would they have been on? As on Sunday, Palm Sunday, they enter into Jerusalem and everybody's waving palm branches. They say, Hosanna to the king. And if you're a disciple, you're saying, yes, that really popular Jesus guy, I'm with him. Like they're wearing the t-shirts. They are saying this, this is my place, this is my people, we are with this guy. But then what happens on Thursday? Thursday, he's arrested. Jesus is being interrogated inside of Caiaphas's torture chamber house. And Peter is in the uh, courtyard around a charcoal fire, and a teenage girl says, hey, did you know Jesus? And Peter says, absolutely not, never heard of the guy. No, I'm not with him. And you think about this roller coaster. They were bringing the kingdom. They had seen so much. And then Friday, Jesus is flogged and crucified. Saturday, how must the disciples have felt about the kingdom of God. Like, what is God doing? I think they felt lost. I think they felt confused and disappointed and dejected, and the way that things played out was not the way that they thought it would. And even when Jesus appears to them after the resurrection, John talks about two times, where he shows up without Thomas, then he shows up with Thomas, and Jesus appears to them, but he doesn't hang out afterwards. He's like there, and he's gone. And the disciples, what are they thinking? What are they going through? And I'm so glad that in our lives, we don't get there, right? We never feel confused or chaotic or buffeted about by the world, and we, like, we don't know what's coming around the corner. You get the sarcasm there. We are right where those disciples were. And so what do the disciples do? Well, they go up to Galilee, and Peter, he starts to go fishing. He takes a group of seven disciples onto the sea, and they go out at night. And I wonder if that's a recentering thing for Peter. When he's feeling chaotic and unmoored and he doesn't know what's coming next, this kind of pulls him back to his roots and lets him know that things are all right. And so they go out all night and they catch goose egg. Nothing. And when they're coming back, there's a guy on the shore, and he calls out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? And they give him a wonderful, verbose, enthusiastic response. They say, no. Like a bunch of grumpy fishermen that are not very pleased with what they got. They say, no. And this is, he says to them, throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. Now, it's interesting. At this point, they don't seem to pick up on it. Like, this is familiar ground. You guys remember this, right, from 10 minutes ago. No, he's 
they're going to throw the nets on the right side and they throw the nets. And when they do, they are unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. And that's when they get it. That's when John turns to Peter and says, I think that might be Jesus. <laughs> Duh! Yeah! And Peter gets so excited, he grabs his coat and jumps into the water. He swims the hundred yards to shore to be with Jesus. And this, this miracle is repeated, and so then they, Jesus sends them back. Now, verse 10, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. And so Simon Peter, he climbs back into the boat and dragged the net of shore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. I wonder if there's a significance to that detail. So the first time, the disciples are overwhelmed. They are unprepared for what Jesus is going to do with their life. And I wonder if this time, like the net is not torn, the ships are not sunk. And I wonder if there's something there where Jesus, he's grown them to this stage. And I wonder if we feel overwhelmed, if there's some times where we are recircling on some stuff and we can remember, I've been through stuff like this before. I've been through difficult seasons with God. He's been training me, maybe growing me for this very moment. And I think this miracle is doing a couple things. Number one, Jesus is showing them that he's going to come through for them still. Even when they're going to ask the question, they're going to say, but, but what about this time, God? What about this time? You came through for me last time, but what about this time? He's saying, yeah, this time. Okay, what about next time? Yeah, next time. God's going to come through. And he's also telling them he's not done with them yet. He's not only going to give them their daily bread or their daily food, but he gives them their daily purpose. He calls them back to something bigger than themselves. They are supposed to be fishers of men. They're supposed to be about this mission of God's kingdom. And I wonder if this moment for the disciples became a touchstone. It became something they would go back to when they were in seasons of difficulty and struggle. They could go back and say, remember when Jesus caught a bunch of fish for us. Remember the touchstone, the miracle. I have um, a small touchstone in my life. This is my little story about this Bible. You guys have seen this Bible many, many, many times. It is my preaching Bible. It's the one that I bring up on stage with me. It's the one that I take to camp with me. If I'm going to teach, this Bible is with me. Now, at the front of this Bible, there's a couple different inscriptions, but um, at the very front, this one says, yeah, this Bible was presented to Andrew by Joe on December 24th, 2010. Now, um, in the winter of 2010, I was first kind of taking my first couple steps into adulthood. I was done with high school. I was um, not able to go to Bible college that year. I, I wanted to, but just financially, I couldn't swing it. So I'm working a couple jobs, trying to figure out how I'm going to do this thing. I did not have some key mentors in my life that I used to have. And I felt unmoored. I felt just not sure. And I think in that moment, God was growing me. He was stretching me. And for some reason, I'm in a Christian bookstore. And I find this Bible. And the like graphic of the crown of thorns just looked really cool to my 18-year-old brain. And 
for some reason, this clicked with me. And I thought, well, that's, that's a Bible I want to read cover to cover. That's a Bible I want to spend time every day in it. Um, and it cost $30. And I did not have $30. So I did the very integrity move. And I took the Bible and I tucked it way behind the other one so that, you know, I could come back later. So I came back later after payday. It was gone. And Joe had bought it. And she gave it to me on that Christmas Eve. And that year I read this thing cover to cover. And it's this, just this little touchstone, this little, little story of God saying, Andrew, I met you when you were low, when you didn't know what was coming next. I was there. And he's going to be with me tomorrow. He's going to be with me as we keep going through this thing. In the book of Matthew, it is bookended by two phrases. Number one, Jesus is going to come. He's going to be Emmanuel, God with us. And then when he gives the disciples the great commission, he says, behold, I am with you to the end of the age. And so I don't know like, what your fish miracle is. Maybe we all have, maybe we have something like that. Maybe it's a small story. Maybe it's a big way with God's math that just adds up. But maybe we can go back to that when we are feeling conflicted or confused or we don't know what's coming. There's, there's some things in this world I'm not sure about. I look at gas prices. They keep going on up. I was talking with one of my buddies, and we're two young men with children trying to talk about, okay, how do you get in the housing market? What? What is this? And I don't, I don't know what's on your mind, but I know there's something that feels pressure and pressing, and I know our God is bigger than that. And so Jesus provides for us, and we can provide for others. And so I, I don't know what little step you could take. I think there are some steps to take to trust him. In this miracle series, we're encouraging you to start a prayer journal because there's something about going back to those things that we've prayed for over and over again. And I think as Americans especially, just like we are so in the moment, like this week, next week, and we don't always look back and say, okay, what did God do for me a month ago? What did God do for me a few years ago? And so I think that is a great, great habit. Uh, I think God's math does work out. Tithing is a great, just disciplined way to give back 10%, that's what they did in the Old Testament. I think it's a good starting point. And I just know lots of stories of people where 90% with God seems to go farther. Uh, and I'm not trying to say that in a legalistic way or whatever, but it's just, it's just true. I wonder if we could give some of our time for devotions in the morning with reading God's word, praying to him, in the middle of the pressured schedule, where it's like, we got another thing coming over and over again. I had some mentors in, encourage me. Um, one of my professors said that with the discipline of Sabbath and taking a day off, he would say, whatever the sermon was on Friday, that's what the sermon would be on Sunday. And he was going to trust God to do the rest. So if there was a paragraph missing, right, if there was an illustration not there, See, those are the things we preachers worry about, right? Between Friday and Saturday. But he just said, this is the stake in the ground. I'm going to trust God to bring the rest. And I don't know what that is for you. But I think we can trust him. And I think we can start providing for others. Maybe 
there's some people in our life we need to encourage and take some of that extra fish that God's given us. We share fish with others. So I will be accepting all invites to salmon barbecue after this. It's going to be great. No, but seriously, maybe there's someone in the middle of an addiction and you need to come alongside them and help them out. Maybe there's a cause in Polk County or a cause at work or what something that you need to get behind. And maybe God's doing something there. The big idea that I have for us from all of this, all the fishy miracles, is that Jesus provides for us. So let's provide for others. Let's pray. Father God, uh, we trust you. We love you. We ask you to meet us uh, in the middle of our um, confusion, in the middle of our disillusionment, in the middle of the everyday struggles. God, we ask you to be there. God, we ask that you would just make clear for us where we're going and what you would have us to do. God, help us to be people who love and trust you. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.